This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. What will you choose? No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything. From which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hello everybody and welcome along once again to the Real EFL League One podcast where we may have had Storm Babbitt rip through parts of England and affect travel in some parts of the country but there were plenty of storms all across League One in terms of goals, incidents, red cards and talking points from England's third tier. All in the company of myself, your host Matt Hulls and two guests providing expert opinion and knowledge to all things in League One in Chris Lamin and Keelan Sarson. How's it going chaps? Very well, thank you. Matt, how are you? I'm very, very well. I'm very well, even though uh, there was a bit of a, a result yesterday that I'm not too happy about, which we'll touch on ne- uh, later, no doubt. Uh, we are ready to go. Let's hope you are listening along as well, as you'll be kept right up to date with every little detail that has been happening in League One over the past week. And in the last seven days, a lot has happened. We're also back to a full list of matches, unlike last weekend. So back to the normal format and back to doing what we love and reviewing each and every match as well as the other big talking points. Just before we get started, just a quick message and a real big one we like to emphasise. Big thanks to everyone uh, who's been sort of listening and giving us massive reach on sort of social media and all the podcast platforms that we are on. You've provided us in our relatively small sort of tenure as a podcast a lot of support to us and we greatly appreciate it. We hope you keep them five-star reviews coming our way and enjoying our content from here on in, which we know you do. As I mentioned, we have a full list of matches to go through, 12 in total. So let's get right down to business and start off with the biggest one of the day. Only the right thing to do, really, isn't it? Given that Charlton, of course, were able to hit Reading by, uh, for four, winning by four goals to nil. All the goals came in the second half, four different goal scorers. All four of attacking players, Chucks and EK, Tyrese Campbell, Alfie May and Miles Lieburn were the goal scorers for Charlton as they heat more away day woes on Ruben Sayers' Reading. Chris, obviously, Michael Appleton is a manager that you know well. Of course, I haven't seen him in the flash at Lincoln. Six unbeaten now since he's gone in at Charlton. And you can almost see with this fairly young squad... It just seems as though that he's just completely raised everything and it just looks like an appointment that's just 
been absolutely sensational right from the word go. I mean, it's only Portsmouth, Oxford and Burton Albion that have taken more points in the last six than Charlton at the moment. So everything is plain sailing at the moment for Charlton, isn't it? Certainly is, yeah. I think it's a really good appointment. I feel the club and, and particularly the squad really suits Michael Appleton. He prefers to work with young players and it, they just seem really confident at the moment, don't they? Really confident. Um, first couple of results kind of helped them get on the right track and now they look they look pretty unstoppable, to be honest. And you mentioned the four different goal scorers there, but I think it's a special mention to Corey Blackett-Taylor, who got a hat-trick of assists yesterday. Um, and Michael Upton loves to give freedom to those wide forwards. Um, Corey Blackett-Taylor is absolutely thriving. Um, not a lot seemed to happen in the first half yesterday, as you mentioned. Um, but second half, they came out in, well, in top gear straight away, really. Their XG in the second half was 1.53, 11 shots, six on target in the second half alone, like it was a really, really convincing performance. I know you're going to talk about Reading in a moment because, of course, there's a lot going on at that club, both on and off the pitch. But it was all about Charlton yesterday, really. Um, and then a game that does include Reading, there's always those, those wider talking points, and rightly so. But Charlton kind of rightly take the headlines from me here. They were outstanding in the second half. I think the big thing that Michael Appleton sort of stressed in his sort of post-match press conference, Chris, was the fact that, you know, he was talking, breaking down the, the sort of game, which is quite refreshing to hear when managers sort of talk about it. And he sort of said, you know, the one thing I've tried to sort of bring in is, is more players running without the ball, you know, and, and away from the ball. So obviously making those off the ball runs, trying to give more options going forward. And he said kind of before everything, when I came in, everything was in front of the opposition. And, you know, it was all about looking pretty at times, going side to side without hurting them. And I think... That is literally the best sort of thing you could say. It's hitting the nail on the head, isn't it? And it just takes a good coach just to to notice those sort of differences, doesn't it? And he's gone in there straight away and seen that there's a lot of good talent out wide. You mentioned Corey Blackett-Taylor, a lot of good players up front that maybe weren't getting the service or the chances into them. But now we're we're really we're really starting to see that with the way that Michael Appleton wants his side to play. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think there's a huge amount to add other than just agree with you 100%. Um, <laughs> you know, Michael Upperton, uh, there's one thing that sticks to mind, that, again, from his time at Lincoln. And Lincoln had a player on loan from Southampton called Dan Lunderloo, who's now at Bolton. And he had all the all of the ingredients to be a, a top-class League One striker, to fit had the physical profile to play higher. And Appleton really slated him a few times because he said he always came to the ball rather than away from it. And... Uh, he didn't have a didn't have a great time at Lincoln and Lunderloo, but there was one game that stuck in six in mind. It was uh, an away game at Wigan, and it's the one game where he got a start and he ran away from the ball and he scored. And then Appleton was just kind of throwing him his uh, singing his praises. So yeah, it's not surprising. Didn't surprise me at all to hear that because that's clearly you know a big fixture and a big mm. part of Michael Appleton's teams. But teams that do it well are successful. Um, so yeah, he's, he's made a great start. And I think to be honest, Charlton have got a squad that's capable of pushing to the levels that they are. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see them maintain the sort of form that they've been showing in recent times. I don't think it's just a, a new manager bounce. I think it's the right manager um, going into the right squad and just getting them to play to a level they're capable of. Um, so, I, yeah, I, don't, I can't see it slowing down, to be honest. Yeah, I think it was one of those at the start of the season. You did assess that they they, they did have that real sort of good vibe about the squad being really good, being really up there. And obviously, you know, it wasn't working under Dean Holden, but so far, as we mentioned, Michael Appleton, it couldn't be going any better. But it couldn't be getting any worse for Reading at the moment. They're in the bottom four. They've obviously had a point deduction. We've touched on it so many times about their problems, their issues. You know, it's it's a difficult hand Ruben Sayers has got. Let's, let's not deny that. It's a young squad. I think it's the youngest in, in the league. There were times where, you know, you could let it off probably in the first month or two, the fact that they were a new team. He was trying to get to grips with 
formations and, and the way they want to play and obviously who he wants to, to fit in the long term, trying to get combinations right. But now that they've kind of been able to to get a team a bit more nailed down. You're starting to see players play consecutively, you know, play more than just the one game then taken out. You know, I, I feel like a little bit with Sayers, yes, he's got the excuse of what's going on upstairs, but I feel like on the pitch, there, there should be a lot about him to change. I just think, you know, yes, it's a young team and they are being exposed to a real horrible scenario at the moment. But, you know, I, I just, there is sometimes of him and I still feel the problems, you know, when I've seen Ren a little bit, it is a little bit sort of putting sort of square pegs and round holes a little bit. He's trying to overcomplicate things a little bit. You know, he's very much, you know, trying to bring players in and use them in different positions. You know, obviously yesterday he played a, a 4-2-2-2, which is his preferred formation. Harvey Nibs used on the sort of left wing. You know, he's more of a number 10, more of a striker, isn't he? You know, I don't kind of really understand that only he knows what he's trying to do there. But, you know, he said the formation's not, not too much of a problem. And obviously... You know, he said that for 60 minutes they were in the game and they could compete against anybody, but they just need to make sure that young squad is better over time. But for me, Chris, there's a real worry that a lot of people sort of did think Reading would not be in the world's, in towards the, the higher echelons of top six, but maybe not as bad as this, but they do look like a side at the moment who look like they're going to be heading down to League Two. I just, I can't see anything at the moment that's going to convince me otherwise. I don't know what, how you feel about that. Mm, I'm maybe not as negative uh, as you are, to be honest. Um, I could definitely see that. I think there has to be, you, you can obviously, we can only talk about what happens on the pitch in regard to judging the mm. team, but what's happening behind the scenes has to have an impact. It has to have an impact. You know, we, we praise teams and you often see successful teams that have got that strong, that strong kind of um, structure behind the scenes. So, you know, higher up the league, things like Brighton, things like teams like Brentford get massively praised because of their backroom structure and, they're able to punch above their weight and get them to where they are now because of that. So I think you have to look at it the way around. When there is such turmoil off the off the uh, behind the scenes, that has to have an impact. Whether it's 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 it's, it's likely yeah. unconscious. It's probably not something that the players are going to mean to do, but it's going to be in the back of mind all the time. Um, but I do agree about the, the system. I think it's uh, it's interesting. You know, it comes from the the school of kind of the, the gay compress works at Southampton yeah. um, under uh, Thomas Hoop. Uh, uh, I from the guy's first name now, but um, Ralph, Ralph Asenhull, that's something I'm trying to say. There we go, there we go. Um, <laughs> and he was preferred system was that kind of 4-4, four, 4-2-2-2 four, four, two, two, two that they used um, in the Red Bull teams quite a lot. Um, and I think it can work in League One. It's just, it's, it's, but I, I agree with you, it's kind of a bit of square pegs, round holes. But I actually looked, I looked at Reading's underlying numbers. They're actually all right. They're actually okay. Um, they, they definitely didn't deserve anything out of this game particularly. But in the last, the last handful, they've, they've not been too bad. Um, but yeah, I think it's if you're playing okay, and you, and you're consistently coming on the bad, the, the wrong side of tight games. This one obviously wasn't, but over the last handful they have, then you do worry about them, don't you? But let's be honest, if you're a Reading fan, you probably don't really care too much about the results on the pitch. All you need and all you want is some security of the of the club to survive, and then you can build from there. I think to be fair as well, Reading fans no doubt would have probably been maybe saying the same thing that maybe some of them did expect them to be having the struggles that they are this season. So maybe to some, it's not a, a great surprise. A team who hit four yesterday were Burton Albion. Of course, they continued their amazing run of form. What a turnaround they've had under Dino Marmaria. Of course, they managed to get uh, a win over Bristol Rovers yesterday. Their biggest win of the season. He said before kickoff Dino Marmaria that uh, this is a, a Burton that no one else has seen yet this season. And they have been very, very good of late as well, haven't they? They are seven unbeaten in League One, six wins in that time. Uh, they've had four wins in a row as well. Wigan, Cambridge at home and Bristol Rovers have been beaten at the Pirelli. Lincoln, they beat away last weekend. 
Uh, Keelan, obviously, we've been on this podcast, you know, this season. We talked about Burton's struggles. I did always feel that they were playing, you know, not the right kind of way. They have a good squad there, I always felt. And I almost felt maybe Mar Maria was not utilising them right. But now it does feel like that he is using them in the best way possible. And you're starting to see the emergence of players like Joe Powell, Quadway Bar really come to the fore, really show what they're made of. And what was, by all accounts yesterday, a, a pretty convincing win against Bristol Rovers. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately for you, they, it did look like a convincing win on the highlights. And I think it'll be frustrating for Bristol Rovers because they go 1-0 up and then I think their lack of confidence shows and Burton get, you know, two in quick succession. The the second goal from Burton is quite poor defending from a from a gas perspective. And they and they take the lead and then Bristol Rovers get a red card and then Joe Powell ends up, you know, hitting an absolute screamer and it's and it's three one and it, it's game over from a from a Bristol Rovers perspective. And I think the one thing you don't want when you're underperforming is to take on one of the more informed teams in a division. And I think it showed that Burton were full of confidence. And Bezla Bala, I think his name is, I think I pronounced that right, got two goals and an assist to his name. He was one of, one of the star men in that match. But I think Bristol Rovers have the quality in their squad to turn it around. I think, unfortunately, they might just play it be, you know, one or two players short of being more consistent and, and targeting, you know, to the top ends of the table because, at the moment, they look a bit of a, a mid-table team, and, and Burton at the moment look, uh, you know, unstoppable. They were unbeaten in all competitions since the 16th of September, and I remember when we first, you know, did the did the first few podcasts, we were talking about them as relegation fodder, and now under Dino Marmria, you know, he's done it before at Burton as well. He's really turned it around, and yeah, Burton look exciting. Yeah, I think, you know, speaking from the Burton point of view, I, I know that obviously Chris has made this point and obviously it's been well documented. There has been a lot of change at Burton sort of during the seasons, particularly sort of the January window last year. They did get rid of a lot of players and brought a lot in and, and the recruitment had been a little bit shaky, but it does look like this year it's been a little bit more sort of impressive. And obviously it is a mixed bag, isn't it? Sometimes recruitment can be good, sometimes it can be bad, but they do look like they found a real gem in, in Quadway Bar and Joe Powell, to be fair, is in fantastic form and on his day. In terms of central midfielders, I think if you take away the, the bigger sort of sides, no disrespect to Burton, but he probably is one of the best midfielders in League One. You know, he can score goals like that. Very good creator, very good vision. I think he's got all the attributes to play for a, a, a you know, maybe get a bigger move potentially in the future. I don't want to do that to Burton fans, but uh, it is something I think could be possible. But kind of moving from the Rovers' point of view, I think, you know, the problem is it's the same old narrative. You know, we've had 66% possession in the game yesterday, but there's too many times we move it slowly. The goal we scored yesterday was a lovely, lovely move. Very quick, very fast. We were up the pitch within, you know, less the amount of time than what we usually try to do, which is very much overkill it in terms of trying to get the ball into the box. But we moved it quick. We got it to Collins. Evans makes the run. That's exactly what we need to do more of. And it's just not being done on a consistent basis. We are... At the moment, I do believe underachieving, not massively, not a, not an extent to be top six, but we should be at least sort of in the position of where Derby are at the moment in the table, which is, you know, 11th, 12th. We are, I think, having, again, a, a manager that I think needs to see the problems. It's happening too many times where teams are defensive, let us have the ball. It's just, you know, it's not bringing any results. It's bringing, you know, less than is more. It's, it's a real issue. Do, do you think maybe, you know, now, Keelan, you see with kind of the, the Bristol Rose point of view, the fact that, you know, there, there does need to be a bit of a look from the outside and almost think, you know, well, something's maybe not quite right here because we are 
maybe as they try to paint the picture, not playing to our potential. So is it down to the manager to kind of do that? Or does he just kind of keep believing what he does? Because you see coaches be stubborn with it and not really work. And they try to go the other way and it's not worked. Yeah, no, I think it is, you know, I imagine Jerry Barton is is a very stubborn man behind the scenes, wants his sides to play a certain way. And they do, they do play attractive football. They keep a lot of the ball. But if you have a lot of the ball and you're not getting the wins or you're getting a win here or there, you need to, you know, maybe change it up and not play, you know, one-dimensional football, arguably, because I think you see, it at, I know we're going to talk about Peterborough in a bit, but Peterborough, you know, keep the ball a lot, but sometimes it's it's sideways passing and it's not incisive. And I think Bristol Rovers need to, you know, have a, have a different game plan when it's going against them because Burton won rather comfortably. Obviously, Bristol Rovers, you know, got a red card in that second half that helped Burton along their way. But yeah, it's, it feels one-dimensional at, at Rovers at the moment. And yeah, I think Jerry Barton needs to, to change it around, maybe try something different because, you know, you've got players like Aaron Collins and, and John Marquise and, you know, got quality players for the for the level. So, I mean, as you touched upon it, they're underperforming and something needs to change. Yeah, it was Ryan Woods that was sent off yesterday for, for Bristol Rovers as they were 2-1 down, but were then able to pick them off with their two best finishes of the day in Joe Powell and Quadro Bar. You mentioned that, Keelan, you were touching on Peterborough. That's where we're going to go next. It was Peterborough 2, Wickham 2 yesterday. Very entertaining encounter. Uh, Brandon Hanlon put Wickham in front and then Joel Randall scored directly from a corner. And then, Efren Mason Clark would score at both ends for Peterborough, which is something you don't often associate with attacking players, scoring at uh, the other end and scoring an own goal. 2-2 um, yesterday. Obviously, we know Peterborough is not the easiest of places to go to. It does maybe feel like this season Wickham maybe probably are performing a little bit better away than they are at home in terms of general performances. I mean, they have played two more matches um, away than at home and they are on the same tally of points. Um, what, what was the assessment like fr from the game yesterday? Because I know as well, a little bit overshadowed was Darren Ferguson's got another um, one-game touchline ban because of picking up three yellow cards on the sideline. Um, but it just in, in thoughts of, of the game overall, was it a fair reflection, a 2-2 draw? Was it, you know, a little bit sort of both maybe feel a little bit disappointed? Yeah, and I think Darren Ferguson uh, touched upon it afterwards. I think he was, he was quite happy to get a share of the points because in the second half, Wickham really came into their own and and controlled a lot of the game. And I know, obviously, they get a point from an unfortunate own goal from from Mason Clark, but Nicholas Bilakapic in, in the posh net had to pull off a wonder save for another Wickham chance. So I think when you look at it, Posh have always struggled against Wickham teams. They play quite stifling football and then try and get you on the counter-attack or, or try and, you know, I, I think Lincoln, um, Lincoln tried to do it against us they try and stifle you and you, you know you sometimes posh teams struggle against that and yeah I, I don't think posh were at, were at their best yesterday you know Joel Randall scores an outrageous goal straight from a corner and Ephraim Mason Clark almost feathers it into the net for 2-1 so they're two really good goals but I think it's it's one of those where you'll only you know see it as a good point if posh on Tuesday night go away to Port Vale and get a result and then if they go away to Blackpool and get a result, you know, the Wickham point doesn't look too bad. Mm. I think if you lose on Tuesday night, it feels like a missed opportunity to win yesterday. But I think it was a fair reflection. And Wickham have always seemingly been a bogey team, especially when Gareth Ainsworth was manager for the Posh. So I don't think it's too bad of a point. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, one thing that's really striking sort of about Peterborough, you know, they have got, you know, Johnson, Clark, Harris up front. And it's one of those, they almost kind of, 
it lifts me a little bit more this season. They're kind of skipping him out a little bit. I mean, they're really focused this year, it seems, using pace with David Adjiboye and obviously Efren Mason Clark. We've obviously, you know, had impact this season from sort of Ricky J. Jones, Kwame Poku. So it is a, an ever changing style. And I think over time, we will see Peterborough be a real, real good side to sort of watch. And it just looks like they can get that from what I can see, a little bit more consistency on that side of things. That might sort of change over time. But Chris, talking about sort of Wickham, it does seem like to me a little bit now, we are starting to see Matt Bloomfield's Wickham. This is like, you know, what I think a lot of people maybe at the start of the season were saying, well, can he get away from the Ainsworth mold? Because everybody knows what Gareth Ainsworth's way is going to be. But now it's kind of settled. Now he's got the right players and he's had that summer. It's made a massive difference to sort of how he kind of wants to play. But you're still seeing little bits of Ainsworth's old style. But it really does feel like now it's more Matt Bloomfield's team to me, anyway. Yeah, I agree 100%. Um, you know, you know, you kind of knew what you got under Gareth Ainsworth, didn't you? And Wickham were very good at it. You know, they were horrible to play against, to be honest, but they were they were very, very, very good at, at their out of possession, very, very good at keeping pressure on teams from set plays and from those kind of direct, uh, guard direct balls. And I think what, what Matt Bloomfield started at uh, certainly early this season when they because they had a really slow start to the season with those, those two big defeats, early doors. And, and they, they seem to have quite a lot more of the ball, but only in that initial third, that first third building from the back. And they didn't seem to be kind of the the passing lanes or the or the, or the structure to play through the thirds. It was kind of was quite pretty in that first third of the pitch. And then it ended up kind of resorting back to what they knew with those longer balls. And I feel that they've just got a little bit more um, kind of connectivity within, in the squad now, a little bit more structure there. Um, they're still really strong from set pieces. It's no surprise that both their goals came directly or indirectly from a set piece. But yesterday, they did, they definitely deserved the point. Um, they had an XG of, of over two and they scored two goals. Um, Posh were actually 0.5 for their XG. But of course, they scored a goal directly from a corner, which is, has got an XG of zero for it. But um, <laughs> so so it's definitely a fair result. I think it's a it's a point that both teams would probably be, be satisfied with before the game kicked off. Um and I think I think the position that we can find ourselves in now is probably a fairer re reflection of the quality of their squad and their management than maybe where they were at the start of the season. Um, so similar to, to Charlton, really, I don't think Wickham as strong a squad is anywhere near as strong as Charlton's, but they of course have improved recently, and I expect them to see you know, be winning sort of one point five points per game, something like that is probably about right for them. Maybe just just below sort of playoff, real serious playoff contenders, just below that is probably where they are. But they're certainly miles away from relegation candidates where it looked like they may be in the first um, kind of handful of games early season. Well, we'll now move on to Fleetwood nil, Lincoln 1. Obviously, there were maybe better games you could sort of describe, but of course, the big news this week that had happened was, of course, Lincoln Party Company with Mark Kennedy. It does feel like to me this, Chris, that this isn't football reasons, to be perfectly honest. I think this is a bit more sort of behind the scenes what's going on. I know last week, Obviously, Danny Mandrew was sent off at home to, to Burton. And he was very, very critical. When managers do seem to kind of go down the slippery slope of really outing players for their faults. I mean, we've got Joey Barton, who's sort of done that um, quite a lot since he's sort of been at, at Bristol Rovers. So certainly know that, that the sort of feeling of the headlines that that creates for the club. But, you know, when, when that's kind of happening, it does maybe start to feel like, you know, you're maybe kind of losing the dressing room a little bit. I mean, is that a fair assessment of what it feels like might have been the sack in the reasons for it or is there a little bit more to it than that 
I think there, there are multiple facets to it. And uh, Lincoln's chief executive, Liam Scully, came out um, on BBC Radio Lincolnshire a couple of days ago to kind of explain the decision and mentioned that it was primarily nothing to do with what's happening on the pitch. It was behind the scenes. Liam Scully is a, a master at talking for 20 minutes and saying nothing at all. He could be a politician. <laughs> um, um, but what we do know is that on the pitch, Lincoln's attacking metrics were diabolical. Uh, I brought. Uh, we actually mentioned this last week, and it's really surprised me because um, we all know that you mentioned there, Keelan, when Lincoln played against went to Peterborough a couple of weeks ago, good at keeping the opposition at bay, good at stifling them, not particularly effective in the attacking phase. In fairness, in fairness that first off against Peterborough was the best attacking output Lincoln have had in weeks, and they still didn't score. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so I don't want to kind of go through it all again, but ultimately there's, there was a lot of attacking mate metrics where Lincoln were in the bottom four, bottom five. Uh, and that was quite shocking. And one of them really stood out, which was touches in the box. So Lincoln averaged um, less than less than 10 touches in the box per game, like 8.9 or something like that. It was really, really poor. They had 116 touches in the box this time last week. And the next worst was Cheltenham, 142, I think. And then the next worst after that was Wigan, which were over 150. So they weren't just below, they were miles away from everyone else. So if you're analysing any team, if I'm not a Lincoln fan and I'm analysing any other team, you kind of think, hang on, that's unsustainable to continue the results that they were having at the start of the season. So even though the, the dismissal is unlikely to be 100% on the pitch, there has to be an element of that. But you were right to bring up the, the, the um, Danny Mandrew incident last week. So against Burton, he was sent off for a, a silly challenge, and it absolutely was a silly challenge. Definitely was a red card. Mark Kennedy did call him out in the media, but it wasn't really just calling him out he it was more of a kind of a character assassination to be honest and we discussed it on the Stacey West podcast the Lincoln City one about it and we, we all felt quite uncomfortable about it because he didn't just mention that it was a mistake he he really went all guns blazing in on him and I think it wasn't just that in isolation because his previous two interviews after games the one against Wolves in the EFL trophy and also the one against Peterborough in all three of those games including the Burton game he called out individual players. So he called out Sean Rowan against Peterborough and even against Wolves under-21s, um, a young striker called Joven Makama came on. It was his best performance in a Lincoln shirt, scored, got a deserved goal against Wolves under-21s and he still criticised him. And we were, we were kind of thinking, this is strange, considering that Lincoln players have made individual mistakes in the past year plus and he's made a point of not calling them out publicly and then for three in a row, he has... And that, that made us all feel a bit uncomfortable and I think there's definitely something else going on behind the scenes there. And in this game against Fleetwood, there was lots of what you expect to see from Lincoln, to be honest. But one thing that really stood out was a, a level of unity, which was something that I don't think you can really criticise the players and some, maybe saying that they, they weren't united. But something just seemed a little bit different in that regard on Saturday. So, yeah, a lot more of a discussion, I think, needs to be off the pitch than on it. But it was a fantastic result. Um, and the first half performance in particular against Fleetwood... Um, was a real difference on a, from an attacking perspective compared to under uh, Mark Kennedy. So Lincoln had 16 touches in the box against Fleetwood yesterday. Um, so that's five more than they've averaged in, in, in any other game this season. And their PPDA, so their passes allowed per defensive action, um, has been worst in, in League One this season at 15. And it was 10 yesterday. So they were clearly pressing a lot higher at the pitch. Second half, they tended to kind of regress back to what we kind of expected from them, but it was a nice kind of first half performance and you never really know what to expect under a, an interim coach. So to, for, for Tom Shaw to kind of get a, not just a result, but a good performance as well. 
means that we're we're probably quite an attractive proposition for incoming managers now. Yeah, you've touched on that subject sort of really nicely about the incoming managers. Obviously, there is a couple of names. Obviously, the first person that springs to mind was obviously Danny Cowley, who obviously has had great success with, with Lincoln before he obviously departed to go to Huddersfield a few years ago. Stephen Bradley is linked with Shamrock. Of course, it is well-known Lincoln. Do have an Irish connection with several players sort of hailing from the Republic of Ireland. Even Mark Kennedy, of course, was a, a, a person sort of hailing from the Republic of Ireland. Um you know, I was sort of trying to discuss this with you this morning, Chris. It almost looks a little bit like it's either sentiment some fans want and then some might want the style aspect. I think Cowley will outweigh Bradley because of the sentiment, which you can kind of totally understand. So it's a little bit sort of like that question to me, a little bit sort of, do you want to go back to what was good in Cowley and you know exactly what he's going to be like, obviously? Or do you kind of go for the style aspect where you might look at the squad now and think, well, it's not quite what it could be because we know with Danny Cowley, he does like to have a, a bit of a target man up there. You know, with Lincoln previously undoing, there was Matt Reed, who obviously he likes to sort of use in other players sort of of that mould. It's very kind of different to what Mark Kennedy is, is played. So is is there the aspect of, you know, you you go with Cowley more over Bradley because of what he's done previously, which is something you could you could totally, totally understand from an outsider's point of view? I think it's very much head versus heart because I think almost every Lincoln City supporter's heart says Danny Cowley is the man for the job. And before the performance against Fleetwood yesterday, there were rumours of maybe that little bit of um, discontent in the camp. It seems that that was very much between Mark Kennedy and the squad rather than maybe within the squad. But when we initially discussed this, you think, well, there's only one man that we can, that he's brilliant at that side of that side of things, the behind the scenes of bringing a squad kind of a uniting a squad and that Danny Cowley is an expert at that, you know, the amount of well wishes he got when he got sacked from Portsmouth, you don't get that for most outgoing managers, you know, that mm. he's just, a, him and his brother Nicky are just top blokes. And of course, as Lincoln fans, we all know him really well. So Hart will of course always kind of want Danny Cowley, I think for the vast majority of Lincoln City supporters. Um, I think there are some question marks over the squad. I agree. Um, I think it's, We've tried to add some physicality into the squad this summer compared to last season. And I think if, if this was a discussion we were having before Mark Kennedy came in, I don't think the squad at all fits the Danny Cowley side. I think it's more suited now than it was then. But there are definitely some, um, yeah, there'll definitely be some adjustments needed from our current setup, definitely to cater for that. Um, the squad is definitely a lot more suited to Stephen Bradley. Now, Stephen Bradley is the other front runner in the, for, the, for the role, primarily because it's well rumoured that he was actually our number one target prior to Mark Kennedy. Mm. He was the one in the, in, in the bookies that was, was favourite. It was announced by the um, one of the Irish papers, I can't remember which one it was now at the time, that uh, Bradley actually turned down Lincoln. Now, that isn't the rhetoric that came from Lincoln City, but that that's what the rumours were at the time. So it wouldn't surprise me to see us kind of keep tabs on him. His, his contract's up soon, and you mentioned the Irish connection. So I, I think the squad maybe suits Stephen Bradley a little bit more. Uh, I think if if if, you, if it was completely up to me, I would probably still go with Danny Cowley. He'd still be my first choice because I think there's enough there that would indicate that it could work and a, a lot of the togetherness that it would bring. I think the, the the big point for that and the big question mark over most people is when they were in charge before, they were in charge of almost all aspects of the club. Whereas now there's a real, really strong structure behind the scenes. And Mark Kennedy very much was a head coach and and had it, it had to kind of stay in his lane to an extent. But there's a really strong structure apart from that. Whereas under the Cowleys, they they did almost everything. Hmm. The counter argument to that is that they had to because there wasn't the structure there in the first place, and they were they've actually put the building blocks in for it. So I think with the Cowleys, there is an argument, but also a counter argument to everything. 
Whereas with Stephen Bradley, it probably actually fits a little bit more smoothly with the current setup. But if the last two appointments are anything to go by, then it'll be neither of them. And it'll be someone we haven't even considered yet. <laughs> well, it could even be Tom Shaw. There is rumours that he's sort of potentially uh, in, in with a shot with a job. And obviously they beat Fleetwood yesterday, who finished the game with 10 men. It's the third game in their last four, by the way, in the third tip. They've ended the game with 10 men. And it's their fifth red card overall this season after uh, Toto and Ciala uh, were sent off for... Uh, uh, fouling Javon McCarmer, who, of course, Chris brought up earlier. Away days are great, especially when your striker bags a last-minute winner. But there's nothing quite like playing at home. And do you know what? The same goes for McDonald's. Why not maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery? Are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18-plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is sponsored by the wonderful people over at NordVPN. The 2023-24 campaign is set to draw to a close, but the football never truly stops. With the Olympics, Euro 2024 and the new season set to commence in no time, make sure you don't miss any of the action wherever you may be in the world by downloading NordVPN. For just the price of one cup of coffee per month, NordVPN allows you to watch your favourite teams, players, shows and movies anywhere in the world, even if they aren't available in your region, simply by switching the location on your device to one which is showing the content. NordVPN also acts as your cyber bodyguard, protecting your personal data and other sensitive information such as credit cards and passwords from falling into the wrong hands, which is always a worry when you travel abroad. And with just one subscription to NordVPN, you can use this service across six different devices, which is incredibly handy if you're traveling with your family and or loved ones. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash realefl. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support our podcast too. The link is in the podcast episode description box. So now... Back to the podcast. Uh, staying with Chris, he's going to be discussing Exeter nil, Wigan 2. Very much a smash and grab from Wigan. Go to Devon, turn up and get the points and go home. Uh, Exeter, 29 shots they had yesterday. Uh, Wigan, only five. Two shots on target, two goals. Exeter had 68% possession. Wigan, only 32. As Wigan, of course, uh, were able, with Sean Maloney, get one over on their ex-manager in Gary Caldwell. Of course, they were teammates. Uh, at Wigan, weren't they, in the sort of Premier League days. Um, run of four games of that win has ended for Wigan, Chris. Exeter, five without a win. We'll touch on Wigan in a minute. How much of an important victory was that for, for Sean Maloney's side? Because they had been looking a little bit concerning of late. Yeah, they started the season so well, didn't they? And, and they have just dropped off over the last few weeks. And I suppose you kind of get that level of inconsistency with such a young squad. They do have some, some big-name players, but the majority of their squad is, is of course very young and inexperienced and with that comes inconsistency. So it was absolutely a result, more than a performance that they needed. Um, you know, scored a goal with a good, a very good counter-attack actually early doors, eight minutes in with Godo finishing off a swift counter-attack. But as you mentioned, Exeter were feeling incredibly hard done by. They were, they were dominant in this game. Um, like you mentioned, significant number of shots, almost 30 shots on target. Uh, shots on goal, sorry, with but they only had four on target in the whole game. It really was a lack of finishing that that was the the missing piece, the jigsaw for Exeter, really. But that does mean that they are five games without a win. And as you mentioned earlier with Reading, if you play well and you don't get the result in one or two games, you kind of take the positives from that. If you're playing well and not getting the result over a sustained period of time, that's a bad sign. Um, so Exeter, after such a positive start to the season, are desperate for, for a result now over a performance. Now, of course, if you're playing poorly and you're not getting a result, that's the worst case scenario. Um, so they definitely put the performance that in that deserved a goal. They had an XG of, of almost three uh, yesterday. So they, you know, on another day, they could have won the game 3-0 if, 
in regards to XG and no one would have complained at all. So they were unlucky, but they just desperately need a result now, don't they? Yeah, and it was quite interesting to see they actually changed their system. They've been very much a 3-5-2 side all the way throughout, but obviously yesterday was the first time he changed the system. They went 4-4-2 yesterday, so obviously more creativity was sort of the, the thinking from Gary Caldwell's selection. And obviously, as Chris sort of mentioned, they and we've and I've sort of touched upon, they did have a lot more chances than what they have had previously. But goal scoring is a real problem for them. They scored one goal in those five games that they've lost. That was away at Charlton, where, of course, they did end the game with 10 men, uh, with, I think, Will Ames being sent off there. So, concerning for Exeter, and one thing that we have touched upon about them is they don't really have the biggest of depths of squad. So, if they were to get injuries as well as have a losing run, then they would be, you would have to say, probably in, in a real sheer amount of trouble. We'll move on to the uh, game between Bolton and Northampton. Bolton 2, Northampton 1. Uh, obviously, Bolton yesterday were 2-0 up inside 16 minutes. Dion Charles, Randall Williams completing uh, sweeping moves. John Brady said that you can't afford to do that against Bolton. He said first half, they were really poor. Second half, they got to grips with the game and made a good fist of it, but ultimately would fall short with who else for Northampton but Sam Hoskins. Uh, scoring for them, their captain. Uh, Keelan Bolton, of course, winning. Winning, Ian Everett said, in hard fashion. It should have been a lot easier, but he said wins are winning. That's exactly what they got because they, you know, are having to play a lot of catch-up already and we've not even gone yet through a third of the season. Yeah, no, I think it's one of those where he'll just be happy that his, you know, side are back to winning. They've been, I think they've been stuttering in recent weeks. They've obviously responded to losing 3-1 at home to Carlisle by not succumbing to another promoted team and and beating Northampton 2-1. And it should have been a, a, a much more comfortable victory. They go 2-0 up, you know, after 16 minutes. Dion Charles is back off international duty with Northern Ireland and scores. It's a, a really good poacher's finish from Charles. You know, the, the bottom man strikes the post and he's he follows in with the rebound to tap home. And then, you know, it should have been 2-0 straight afterwards. Victor Adebayo, the, the, his strike partner, does fantastically well on the ball with dogged determination to keep it from the Northampton defenders and then, and then puts it wide. But then, thankfully for him, Randell Williams scores a good solo effort and, it, and it's 2-0 and Bolton are comfortable. But, you know, they made it far, far more precarious than it needed to be. You know, watching the highlights, I think it's two, one or two times Ricardo Santos is playing out from the back and unfortunately, he passes it straight to a Northampton man. And and both times, Northampton don't capitalise on it. And then, you know, as you touched upon there, Sam Hoskins, you know, the, a stalwart for Northampton, now captain and and their star man heads home. And, you know, I think Everett might have wanted his side to be far more clinical and go for blood after poor recent form. But, you know, as he, as he touched upon afterwards, he'll just be happy with a victory no matter what. And I think they're up to fourth now in the league. So... They're still doing well and there's probably more to come from them. Yeah, and it's not an easy team to play against Northampton at this. Since the season began, they've not lost a game in the league by more than one goal. So they are a pretty stubborn side to sort of play against. And Ian Everett did sort of mention about how he said that his team smelt blood in the first half and just didn't go in for the kill. So if they were clinical, like they were at the start of the season when they were, you know, hitting three um, in, in an opening couple of matches. I think it was obviously Lincoln and Fleetwood that they did against. It might have been a bit of a different story. Northampton wouldn't have obviously sort of seen that run of them losing by the odd goal when they have lost this season uh, be kept going. Cheltenham won Cambridge nil. Cheltenham finally off the board with a victory, just their second goal of the season. And what a goal it was from Lynn Circum. What a wonderful chip it was to beat 
Cambridge inside the opening five minutes. And that is how long it took for Cheltenham to win. First win as well for new boss Daryl Clark. Um, we know with Daryl Clark teams, if you're a Bristol Rovers fan or a Port Vale fan, you could certainly say that they were very used to seeing a 5-3-2 system under him. He very much adopted it in this game yesterday. It's something that he likes and trusts. He's used it before and it's worked to more success than it hasn't, I think it's fair to say. Certainly remember sort of Port Vale sides of Warrell and Benin, you know, going down the right and the left, putting crosses into the box. And obviously for Chatham, we know creativity has been a big, big problem. It's very clear in their numbers. As we know, only two league goals they've scored this season. Um, so obviously that's something that will need to change. But they have improved slightly since Wade Elliott actually left. And the I think it was the two games they had uh, under the caretaker coach, um, the, the, the former assistant, I think it's Kevin Russell, Keith Russell, I can't remember what the name is, but um, he was, you know, they had the XG slightly up in, in those games. It was just under one again yesterday in that one they went against Cambridge. So there has been slight improvements made. And obviously they did get a draw against Derby uh, last time out before they played Cambridge. And obviously they won themselves, but they're another team, Cambridge, really on the slide, aren't they? They've not won since they beat Reading to go top of league one on the fourth of September. So no win in seven, lost four of them. They've lost to Wigan away, Barnsley 4-0 at home, Burton away. And of course, they've lost to Chatham away, drawing with Derby away, nil-nil. And then one all draws at home to Paul Vale and Shrewsbury. And, you know, it was very much like it a little bit last year under Mark Bonnino. They had a real good run of form and then they really spiralled, didn't they, in the second half of the season, only as we know, surviving by the, by the sort of skin of their teeth. So he has seen this before, Mark Bonner. So, you know, I think when you've gone through something once, you're not really sure how to deal with it because you go through it again, which they are doing at the moment. You know, maybe it's a bit more experienced, more fine in, in the know-how terms of how to deal with this. Maybe just try and freshen things up. But yeah, since they've kind of beaten Reading, they've been very much on the on the down low. So it's uh, worrying times potentially on the horizon for uh, Cambridge and for Mark Bonner. Potentially worrying times for Derby and for Paul Warren. Of course, Derby were beaten yesterday by a goal to nil against a vastly improving Shrewsbury, uh, who, of course, won the game by a goal to nil. And no goal from Connor Howrahan uh, would settle it for, uh, for Shrewsbury. And, of course, they would miss a penalty in the first half late into it when uh, Tom Bayliss would sky into the away end. There were a chance from the Derby fans saying about how bad the football was from Paul Warren. I'm not obviously going to say the word because uh, I don't think anyone wants to hear that. But um, it was coming from large amounts of away fans Chris, obviously, loads and loads of people, including a lot of people probably taking part in the podcast pre-season, thought Derby would win the league. And I think you're probably right to because of the record Paul Warner's got. And obviously, being a streetwise sort of team and how that they can get results. His Rotherham side always were very, very good at that. It seems he's trying to recreate it at Derby, but it's just not getting, obviously, the right results this season. I mean, they largely just seem like at the moment they're progressively getting worse and worse do you fear for Paul Warren in, in his position sadly I, I do I I don't think they should get rid of him at all I, I think Paul Warren we mentioned pre-season I felt Derby's biggest asset was Paul Warren to be honest he, he knows League One he knows how to get out of League One I think this was a really interesting game for the wider story of both of both teams really now you mentioned Shrewsbury it was probably their best performance of the season it created more chances in this game, more good chances, highest XG they've had most for the majority of the season. They absolutely deserve to win this game. But I agree in that the, the biggest talking point is, is certainly around Derby. And, you know, when the results aren't necessarily going 100%, you're not, you're not getting the wins that maybe Derby fans expect them to with the quality in their squad. 
it's it's only natural to ask questions. There's a lot of similarities here, I feel, between Derby and when Sunderland were in League One in their first couple of seasons as well. You know, that expectation is probably high. Um, but also, Paul Warren's teams were, as you mentioned, really streetwise. You know, his Rotherham team was outstanding, out of possession, and were really good at keeping pressure on teams, but were never particularly good at, they never really dominated games possession-wise. They didn't necessarily carve teams open with intricate passing. And just naturally, when you're playing against a team of those strengths and you're you're setting up, and also, with no disrespect to a club the size of Rotherham, the games feel very, very different against Rotherham than they would do against a team like Derby with the, with the stature that they just have. So naturally, you're going to be coming up against a lot of teams playing low blocks, a lot of teams that are happy to with a point and just happy to to stop Derby scoring. And that they're the types of games that Derby found themselves in more often not this season. And they have struggled and they have looked a little bit um, lacking in that terms of kind of creativity this season. And it was pretty much the same story again yesterday. You know, they, they can see themselves really unlucky against Cambridge, for example, where they played at home to Cambridge uh, three or four weeks ago, drew nil-nil and had enough chances to win three or four games in that Cambridge were. Stoic, but let's be honest, lucky. A really great win against Blackpool a couple of weeks ago. And then, of course, that really frustrating victory against Cheltenham last week, or a couple of weeks ago, sorry, where you imagine that's probably knocked a little bit of the confidence away from it. And it did look like a team that was lacking a little bit of belief and confidence yesterday. And, yeah, I do I do worry for Paul Warren. I hope the, I really hope that the, the owners and, and the chairman are, are strong enough to back him. I, I'm a massive fan of him. I think he's a great manager for, for this level. Um, and a good person as well. But there's no denying Derby need to score more goals. They need to create more, more clear-cut chances rather than just getting the ball wide and, and, and knocking it in the box and playing playing percentage football because that's that's how they're creating their chances is, is through volume rather than through through quality at the moment. Um, exactly how they do that, well, that's the challenge that Paul Warren has. But I, for one, just really hope that they, they stick with him. I think the guy deserves... What he's done at Rotherham and what he's done throughout his career so far, he, he absolutely deserves the time to to put it right because they're only four points off the playoffs. They've got a couple of games in hand over most of the teams above them, so you know they're not miles away at all. And it, we're only a quarter of the way through the season. If it clicks, they can they can still easily challenge top two, you know, with a quarter of the season remaining. It's just that missing piece of the jigsaw is very much the hardest part of the game, of course, putting the ball in the back of the net. And it's about the creation of chances, which really needs to improve, but. You know that they're not bad, are they? They're not bad. No, I think what they are missing it is very obvious, and I think every Derby fan just just can kind of spot that. It does feel like a little bit sort of maybe through the middle of the park. They don't quite have that creator, maybe that some teams kind of do. So I think that's what their their big problems are. But you know, let's not just touch up on Shrewsbury just quickly, Chris. I mean, I've been quite critical a little bit at times, saying. But what is the way Matt Taylor wants them to play? They, I think they had a run, didn't they, where they didn't score in about four or five matches. They picked up seven points from their last nine available. Things are massively improving for Shrewsbury. So whilst Derby are going, it feels like down. Shrewsbury are going up, aren't they? So you're really starting to see more improvement. You know, the XG's going up, the performances, the creativity's, you know, improving. It does feel like, you know, we're starting to really see what Matt Taylor Shrewsbury is all about and move away fully from what they were under Steve Cottrell and very much the same system, but very different way of playing and different philosophy. Yeah, it's almost like they kind of put the foundations in place first, didn't they? They they did carry on with what they were good at under under Steve Cottrell, which was very much being hard to beat, well organised, 
very strong without the ball, to be honest. Um, I have to admit, I, I watched the game that Lincoln played there at the start of the season, towards the start of the season. It's one of the worst games of football I've seen. It was a horrible game of football because it was two similar teams cancelling each other out, and Lincoln was lucky to get the three points there. But you know, I, I kind of felt Shrewsbury really, really well organised without the ball. But we mentioned it in the last few weeks as well. You struggle to see where the goals are coming from, and the only real attacking input they seems to have was from Daniel Udai, who seems to kind of do the job of two strikers up there. They actually played the, the front two with. Their summer signing matter up there is a matter up there uh, yesterday. But you're right, the last kind of two or three weeks specifically, they've maintained that solidity that they've had for the majority of the season. We've certainly started to see a lot more attacking intent. Um, it's kind of a similar story to a couple of other teams we mentioned this season. We mentioned Wickham, mentioned um, Shelton. We're just starting to see them kind of find a little bit of form and maybe starting to hit the form that we expect them to be at maintained for the whole season. I, I expect Shrewsbury to be very much a middle of the table team. They're, they're again, a step above the teams that you expect to be down there, kind of fighting relegation. And they were, they've, they've kept themselves far enough away from that in recent weeks, but they weren't a million miles away. This win will do them a world of good, just points-wise, to allow you to then play with that little bit of extra freedom without the kind of pressure that then comes from being in, in a relegation dogfight. You know, they're away from that now. They're very much a mid-table side. And yeah, I think they've got some really positive building blocks in place now, which allows them to kick on for the rest of the season. Let's move on then to the leaders. Portsmouth, well, they left it late again, didn't they? It's the fifth time this season they've scored in stoppage time, which is an unbelievable thing to, to bring into account. It's the fourth time they've actually done it at Fratton Park. They scored late yesterday uh, with Sean as he's scoring in the 93rd minute to get past Carlisle and their supporters who made a 700-mile round trip yesterday uh, to go down to the south coast, but ultimately see their team come away with nothing and fall short. You know, Keelan, when you're going to play Carlisle, they're very stubborn. They're very defensive-minded. They're going to try and go on the counter-attack. They had some good chances yesterday. You know, McCollman hit the post um, in the in the second half. And, you know, with sort of Portsmouth, there is just that spirit, you know, that the fact that they do not know when they're beaten. And if they've done it once and they've done it a few more times after that, they know that they can score any time. And I think that that's something that's really key for them. Do, do you almost feel now that, it might be a bit too early to say that maybe this Portsmouth side is going to take some stopping. Not by the fact they've been sort of amazing to watch, but it's just the fact that they just seemingly know how to get the job done. And it's just so difficult to just fully come away from Fran Park with even a point at the moment, let alone getting uh, a win there in general. Yeah, no, I think we we touched upon it in one of the, the last few podcasts. You, we were wondering whether or not it was, you know, slightly lucky that they kept, you know, getting a, getting a last minute goal or, or grinding out for a, or a draw or a win. And, and at this point in time, it, it, it can't be down to luck. And, and watching the um the game against Carlisle, I know it finished 1-0, but in that first half, Portsmouth have had a number of opportunities to, to really coast the game. And to Carlisle's credit in the second half and in the first half, they, they, they stood firm against it. And they, as you mentioned, they had a number of opportunities to, to maybe send the, away fans back back up to Cumbria that made that really mammoth away journey down to the south coast happy Alfie McCalman as you said drills an effort off the post and then I think it's substitute Daniel Butterworth also sings the palms of Will Norris in the, in the Pompey net and so they gave they gave a good account of themselves and I, I you know I was unfortunately as a posh fan Carlisle managed to get a last minute equaliser against us so they they're a tough team you know, they're a tough team to play against. But as you said, Pompey at the moment, they just don't look like they know when they're beaten. You know, they're still unbeaten. And that that win, you know, at the expense of, I know we haven't touched upon it yet, but Oxford only drew. 
there's now a three-point gap between them and, and second and, a, and an eight-point gap of a third-place Barnsley. So they are really, you know, making that 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 top-of-the-table position their own. And, you know, they always find a way. And, and Connor Shaughnessy's header, you know, sends the, the Pompey fans into into raptures. And that, that'll be a hard pill for, for Carlisle to take. I think, you know, they're, they're showing this season that they are on the receiving end of a lot of 1-0 losses. They lost to, to Leighton Orient by the same uh, scoreline. And I think that's just a lack of experience at the level to get that result. Whereas Portsmouth under John Massinio just know how to get that result. And they're very, very credible automatic promotion candidates at this point in the season. Yeah, you mentioned one of the sides that's sort of directly below them. Barnsley, eight points behind now, sort of uh, between themselves and Portsmouth at the top of the table. They drew one all yesterday at Leighton Orient. Two informed sides. Now Leighton Orient have had just one defeat in seven after a bit of a wobbly start under Richie Wellens, the League Two champions. Barnsley have only had two losses in seven. They are the sort of away day specialists, aren't they, coming into this, uh, Barnsley? But they were held by Leighton Orient, who... Probably might feel like they should have won the game. They had an XG of over 1.5 compared to Barnsley, who had 0.25. There is still elements of Barnsley sometimes this season. They look really good in spells, and then sometimes they do look a little bit sort of fragile. And I think that that's something that's still maybe not convincing a few people. Speaking of not being convinced, uh, Neil Collins wasn't convinced by letting Orient's penalty, which was given when Raw Soteri's shot was blocked uh, by Jamie McCart on loan from Rotherham. Uh, it was a judge to have hit his arm, but he wasn't sure about it. But of course, which handball these days in the period isn't quite as contentious as uh, sort of the next one. Um, but in fairness, it does maybe feel like to some degree a point was a, a fair result. Joe Pickett obviously doing what he does, scoring goals, albeit from the penalty spot. I think Herbie Kane is it's just one of those players, you know, year in, year out when he is in League One, he's just a consistent performer. You know, he often does tend to score pretty pretty good goals. I think he's always a player who you always notice sort of how good he is. You know, he's a very clever, very silky footballer. He always just seems to be that that one step ahead. So that's kind of why he always stands out in my mind as one of those sort of real consistent performers. So probably in the end, or it might feel a little bit more disappointed, but Barnsley, no doubt, will maybe take a point better than Orit because, of course, they did end the game with 10 men with Sam Cosgrove's bizarre red card, which obviously saw him um, sort of give a little kick out on a, a Leighton Orient player as he tried to sort of kick the ball away as well. So a point apiece there. Also a point apiece between Oxford and Blackpool. Uh, Oxford would take the lead with Greg Lee. What a season he's having. Five goals in seven matches now he's got for Oxford. Jordan Rhodes has got seven in his last six in League One for Blackpool. Chris, obviously, Liam Manning said after the game, he won't turn his nose at getting a draw against the rival toward the top of the table. They only managed... Of course, this is sort of different on sort of whatever sites you see. Three shots uh, that they had on goal yesterday, Oxford. Blackpool had nine. Um, it wasn't the best in terms of chances created. Neil Critch actually did say that his side should have had a penalty at the end when he felt Shane Lavery was clattered into by James Beadle. He does actually have uh, a bit of a case to be answered, to be fair, by the referee. But a draw in the end, obviously, Oxford, as we know, in the top two, probably have played, for me, probably the best football in the league this season. Blackpool starting to come into their own. Maybe a little bit down to having Jordan Rhodes up front. It's just changed things, having that focal point up front for them that was perhaps maybe missing. So, you know, kind of maybe looking at it as I've broken it down, draw seems to be a, a bit of a fair result in this one. Very much so, yeah. And I think it's it's a result that if you offered that to both managers before kickoff. I think both of them would have been very happy with that. Um, 
And the game kind of panned out in a way where it seemed that it was two teams that didn't want to lose rather than that were really, really keen to to win the game. Now, Greg Lee, I think it's you're absolutely right to mention him. What a, what a run he's on. And he's not just scored tappings, has he? He's scored some fantastic goals. Another fantastic goal yesterday. Um, Cross came in from the right-hand side. A really great kind of blindside late run to finish it. Put it 1-0 to, to Oxford after 36 minutes. That was actually their first shot on target in the whole game. They only had one other, one other in, for the rest of the 90. And even though Blackpool did leave it late, uh, 92nd minute they, they scored from Jordan Rose. They had a couple of good opportunities before that. It's it's no less than they deserved. Um, so that does end Oxford's winning run. They won five on the bounce in the league before this. Um, but they're not going to be disappointed with the point at all, as you mentioned, Liam Manning said, said as much. This was a game where it was a fair result, absolutely fair result over the 90. Both teams are going to go, yep, yeah, thank you very much. Shake hands at the end of it and move on. There seems to be a lot of respect uh, in this game towards each side, to be honest. Now, both, both teams gave each other a lot of respect. Um, actually, neither team pressed particularly high in this game. Um, it was one of the highest PPDAs that either team had put out this season. So, yeah, I think it was, it, there's a reason that this has been left towards the, the latter end of the podcast, isn't there? Because not, not a huge amount happened in this one, but it's one of those that neither team is going to be disappointed with and they can both move on into into their next games um, with yeah with kind of a, uh, an unbeaten run intact for both of them, four or five games plus. So that's that really <laughs> on this one nothing else to say is there <laughs> well I'll, I'll just say this i mean on blackpool you made a very good point about how they do tend to defend very very deep that seems to be a real common theme for them i've seen them a couple of times this season especially away from home where they drew with exeter i think it was their first away of the season then they won one then at barnsley they defend very much right on the very end of their penalty spot at times they get so many bodies back i mean you know a little bit different yesterday because oxford did lack having sort of real goal mouth action uh, on the Blackpool goal. But they, that is something that under Neil Critchie, they have been very, very strong at. I mean, obviously, against Lincoln, they did kind of implode, didn't they, when Norburn got sent off. But they have largely been a very sort of, you know, low-blocking team. They don't tend to press that high. I think that's what's quite a noticeable thing. But obviously, the big thing that they do try and do away from home is try and stay in games. The results have told them that maybe barring one or maybe two, if you include the Wickham one, where they did look like they were well beaten at Adams Park. So, I think that that's something that is probably here to stay with Blackpool. It does actually kind of work, I think, to some degree, the fact that they do defend quite deep. Unfortunately, Stevenage and Port Vale are the last ones that we're going to talk about in the running order. Um, if you're sort of part of match of the day and you're the last ones on, it's never a good thing. Um, it's usually short and sweet. So you've got a bit of time there, Keelan, to discuss this one if you can. Um, I will say this, probably the worst decision I've seen all season was just not getting a penalty for the challenge from uh, the Stevenage defender Smith, which I still don't know for the life of me how that's not a penalty, but there we go. Um, both these sides on a bit of a, you know, bit of a slide at the moment. Stevenage, you know, started the season so, so well. It just made me feel like a little bit, Keelan. They're getting worked out um, under Steve Evans. You know what they're going to be like. We've already stressed about them. I think we've almost, if a lot of managers and analysts watch this podcast, we've tried to nail down Stevenage and the way they play quite quite as much as we can and bang the drum on that. But it does maybe feel like they are getting found out a little bit. So maybe that bubble is really starting to maybe burst now a little bit. But they're still just finding that way to get results, aren't they? Not quite as bad as what it is for some clubs like Cambridge or, you know, other sides like Exeter as well. Yeah, no, just just touching upon that um, that penalty call. I think that's one call that Steve Evans, you know, can't moan about because it, it worked in his favour. And um yeah, no, looking at that game in general, I think it's a case of, of both teams really running out of steam. 
And I think from a Stevenage perspective, you know, coming into this season, you know, where how they've started and, you know, getting points on the board. I think a lot of Stevenage fans would have just been happy staying up in the division this season. So they're still outperforming way beyond what anyone expected. And yeah, unfortunately, it was it was not the most entertaining uh, contest at the Lamex. I think Port Vale would probably be happy with the point because I think that ends a free match, you know, losing run. And, you know, the Stevenage goalkeeper in, in Ashby Hammond had to stay alert. I think Port Vale had quite a few half chances in the first half. And I think Stevenage edged it slightly towards the end. And there was a, a major chance for, for Jamie Reed, the number 19 for for Steve Evans' uh, Stevenage team. He could have won the contest, but Connor Ripley makes himself big in the goal and palms it away. And then his strike partner in Elliot List, who comes on, you know, has a chance late on, but he couldn't convert. And I just think it was a, a hard-fought contest between two sides that are slightly running on empty. And I think, as you say, Stevenage are getting slightly found out. And, you know, after breakneck starts for both teams where they were in the the upper halves of the table, you know, flying high in the league. I think it was a, a match where both, you know, firmly came back down to earth slightly. But yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a, a great great contest. So I hope I've I've padded that out for for a few minutes. <laughs> well, another thing as well that might be a bit concerning for Port Vale sort of moving forward is that they are scoreless in their last four league games. Now, obviously, away from home before that, they had lost three 0 to. Uh, Bristol Rovers, they've lost 2-0 to Portsmouth. They've got a 0-0 draw here, so they have ended a losing run. But yeah, they are scoreless in their last four games. So not ideal for Port Vale. And obviously their striker issues have been sort of well documented. It was brought up previously um, sort of on a podcast, wasn't it? About how they've been really unable to sort of score. And obviously it's been added in, into an extra game now, sort of 360 plus minutes. So that is all we've got time for on this episode of the Real EFL League One podcast. All 12 games done and dusted. So my thanks as ever goes to Chris and to Keelan for their wonderful contributions. Remember, just to remind you again, please do keep up putting your reviews in for our podcast. Give us a five-star rating on our or on your chosen platform, I should say. And keep up, of course, giving us as much exposure and reach as you can, spreading the word about the League One podcast. Have a lovely rest of your week. And, of course, you've got another fix of League One football with a full list of fixtures to come in midweek as well. Have a lovely rest of your week. Enjoy the midweek action. And we'll see you again very, very soon. Bye for now. TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. It's the 90th minute and all your mates around watching your team on iFollow. You've got your McNugget share box on the go. And you know what? Your mates already got booked for double dipping. But then later on, you steal in, grab the last nugget and snatch all three points. Perfect. Why not order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app? Are you in?
at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonalds.com this podcast is proud to be part of the talk sport fan network talk sport powered by fans